Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right, Father God, we just invite you to come and fill this place this morning, God. Lord, I just pray that you would just help me to, to speak what I believe you've put on my heart, God, and prepare us to, to receive what you have for each one this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, I am going to be continuing our series called Heroes and Villains, and today I'm going to be talking about David and Goliath. Uh, it's a popular story. Um, whether you grew up in the church or you've never been to church, you've probably heard of the story of David and Goliath. It's become a pretty common uh, trope in TV and movies and books and comic books and all that kind of stuff of the, the little underdog overcoming the giant. And so we're going to look at the, the origin of this story, which is found in the Bible, the Bible, the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So you can turn to that in your paper Bible, or you can digitally pull it up um, on your phones or tablets. I don't, I don't know why I'm Uh, so today, we're going to look at the story of David, Goliath, David and Goliath in, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the frame of looking at identity and looking at purpose. And we're going to see that we need to, just like David did, we need to understand correctly our position in God's family. Right? That we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And that we are important and valuable and loved and chosen and filled with good things. And we also are going to see that our purpose in the world is not to scramble and strive and try to accomplish our own glory or our own position or our own platform, right? But everything we do is to bring God glory. Just like we sang in that last song of worship, all we are and all we do is for your glory. And so we're going to look at this story through the lens of identity and purpose and look at how can we answer the questions, who am I? Do I have what it takes? What is my purpose? And as a person who has struggled with insecurity for most of my life, so many times I've answered this question that rumbles around inside my brain. You know, who am I? Do I have what it takes? What is my purpose? With this answer, I'm nobody. I'm not important. And there was, uh, in one of the first trailers for Star Wars The Force Awakens, uh, so good, we see, we see Rey, we see Rey walking through the desert, um, and we all thought it was uh, Tatooine, but it wasn't, it was Jakku. There is an identical desert planet for unknown reasons. Uh, hopefully we find that out in 2018. Um, <laughs> Um, Ray is walking through the desert of Jakku, and BB-8 is rolling along beside her, and he turns his little droid head, and he beebles something in binary, which is the droid language of Star Wars, and she looks down at him, because she can, she can understand, and she's like, who am I? I'm nobody. And I was immediately drawn into this story, right? Not because I am a, a young girl that lives on a desert planet that scavenges star destroyers trying to make a living as I wait for my parents to return, 
No, that's not what drew me into the story. But this thing that she expresses, that she's nobody, like it captures me because I'm like, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. I'm stuck on this backwater place, and I, I know that I was destined for something great, and yet I feel like I'm nobody. But what we're going to see is that this attack on my identity, and this attack on, on Ray's identity, <laughs> forget that, this attack on my identity isn't something new to me. It isn't something special to me. There's a lot of people that struggle to answer these questions, and what we find is that the enemy has been attacking identity since the very beginning. And if we turn back to Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve have been placed in this glorious garden. And God has said, you can eat from anything. All that I have created is for your enjoyment and for your pleasure. And as you live as co-regents, co-rulers with me over this world, you, are, you can enjoy all of this. Except don't eat from this one thing, this one plant, this one tree. And so everything is perfect. And we find in Genesis chapter 3 that in comes this serpent who begins sowing seeds of doubt and temptation into Eve. And in verse 5, he says, For God knows, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is going to be great. And so what we see is the serpent saying, Eve, what you are, what you've got, it's not quite enough, right? It's not quite enough. God has actually withheld something from you, right? But if you do this, this little thing, just eat this little fruit, you will be like God, and then you can reach your full potential. And so here is Eve, struggling with this temptation, and from our perspective, we can go, that is crazy, why would you do that? You're in perfection, right? Because she was in, the, here's this woman who is in perfect relationship with her husband. Perfect relationship. She's in perfect relationship with all of creation. Everything is glorious and beautiful. It's all for her and her husband to enjoy, and they have this job to do, this cultural mandate to go and to be fruitful and to multiply and to create culture, and it's going to be amazing. And on top of that, she has perfect relationship with God. They walk together in the cool of the garden. And yet, when she gets her eyes off of the glorious, God-centered reality of her life, and she starts to listen to the serpent. She starts to look to herself. She puts herself in the center of the world and says, oh, there's stuff that I am missing. That she listens to this temptation. And we say, that's crazy. How could she do that? But, and, and I say the same thing. And yet in my life, if I step back and I take an objective look at my life, man, things are going pretty darn good. I get to wake up day in and day out and come to my dream job. Wow, that's amazing. I get to do what I love, right? And it supports me. It's crazy, right? And I have a nice house, and we have nice cars, and we've got uh, DVR. So, <laughs> we're living the good life. All right, uh, and I've got this beautiful wife, and I've got three healthy kids, and things are good. You know, I, think, I get to go to seminary, right? I get to go to GRTS and learn from these brilliant people, and it is such a joy. And yet, in the day-to-day -day life, I can pull back and I go, man, 
I could just speak like that. And if I was like that guy, then I could do something. Oh, if I had, if I had that platform, then, oh, then I could do something. If that spotlight was on me, man. Or if I drove this car, that'd be sweet, right? Or if I lived in this neighborhood instead of this neighborhood, right? If I looked like this or I looked like that, right? Then things would be going great. Like, and so I have everything. God has given me all these amazing things. I have a great relationship with God and my wife and my family. Everything is good. And yet here I am going, oh, if I just had something else, right? Because I've stepped out of this God-centered trust and faith that God, who is the creator of everything, that God, whose this entire story from creation to consummation is all about him, and I am just a player, an important, valuable, important player in his story. When I understand my relationship to the creator God, then I am fulfilled, and I feel like I have purpose, and I am filled with the joy and the peace and the love of God. But when I start looking at myself and start comparing and going, I don't have this, I don't have that, and I don't have that, then I start to lose my identity as a son of God, and I lose my understanding that my purpose is not to bring me glory, but to bring God glory. I should finish my introduction. (laughs) And so as we see, see, we're going to see that David, wonderful, wonderful David, in 1 Samuel 17, he understands that his life is ultimately not about him. But his life is about bringing glory to God. And through looking at David's story, I think that we can learn how better to answer these questions of identity and purpose as we relate rightly to God. Right? And we are going to learn that when we come into correct submission to Jesus Christ and God the Father, right, is the center of our life, as our Lord and Savior, it's in that place that we find fullness and abundant lives. Okay, so in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 1. We only have 58 verses to get through, so fear not. We won't read them all. 1 Samuel 17, 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesdamim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. I lost my place. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And so this is a picture of the Valley of Elah. And so the Philistines would have been standing on one hill, the armies of Israel standing on the other hill. And every day, Goliath, the Philistine champion, would come out and defy the Israelites and defy God. And he comes out and he stands 
over nine feet tall, nine foot nine inches, right? And he's wearing uh, armor, a, a, a helmet, and, and a breastplate, and greaves, and things. And he's got a sword, and he's got a spear, and he's got a shield, and he's got an armor bearer. He's ready to go. And he's ready to fight for this land. And we have to take another real quick step back and understand that this is not just an isolated story, right? This isn't just a, 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 a myth or just a, a tale that people tell uh, around campfires, right? The, but this story of David and Goliath is smack dab in the midst of God's overarching story, right? That this isn't just, it wasn't just some random day that the Philistines are like, you know what? We don't have much going on today. What do you want to do? Oh, why don't we go fight the Israelites? Oh, that's a great idea. Let's go, right? What we see over and over again in the, in the story of Israel is that God had promised them this land, this was the promised land, promised to Abraham back in, in Genesis 15, right? And that this land is where God was going to be, uh, he was going to bless Israel, and Israel was going to be a blessing to all the nations, right? This land is important to God. He has chosen this land. And so when the Philistines come to attack the Israelites, they're not just attacking them because they want something to do, but they, are, they wanted this land that God had promised to Israel. And it is important. And so this ongoing war that we see, you know, continually happening in the, in the story of Israel is not just a battle for land, but ultimately it's a battle to thwart God's redemptive purposes across the world. And so that's, that's the backdrop. <laughs> Sorry. And, uh, and so Saul and the Israelites are at, at, the, at the forefront of, of this battle for God's purposes, right? And every time that Goliath steps out, they are terrified. And every time he, he steps up, they, uh, they run away, right? And they are scared of this imposing nine-foot, nine-inch-tall guy with his, his, all his weapons and armor and, and stuff. I should know. Anyway. Um, So Goliath, I'm very sorry. They are defi he defies the Israelites and they're terrified and they run away. And what we see is that Saul and the Israelites, they have forgotten or they have abandoned another incredibly important piece of their history, the covenant promises of God that he wants them in this land and that he will fight for them. Right, we see this in numerous places. You can look at it in Exodus 23, 22. You can see it in Deuteronomy 3, 21, 22. And we're going to read uh, God's covenant promise in Deuteronomy 21 through 4. And so Moses says to Israel, When you go to war against your armies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. This was God's promise to Israel that he was going to deliver them, that he was going to fight on their side. And he had proven this over and over again in their history. As, as Moses brings up, he's like, remember how God delivered you from Egypt. He overcame the power of Egypt, delivered you out of there. You crossed the Red Sea on dry land. He provided for you for 40 years as you wandered around the desert. He was faithful in the midst of your unfaithfulness. 
He was faithful to give you food and water out in that dry place. And then he fought for you as you entered into the promised land. And you took this land against these these giants and these armies that were stronger than you. And here we are again. Right? Here we are uh, uh, again that Saul and the armies of Israel are up against a force that they cannot beat. And Saul, who certainly should have known better, certainly should have known better, we've seen this exact story play out in his life, this uh, forgetting God's covenant promises, forgetting the strength of God's supernatural arm is what had gotten him removed from the, the kingly line of Israel because of his lack of trust in God. And yet, once again, Saul is so concerned with the natural, and Israel so is concerned with what they see in front of them that they forget about the power of God who is supplied and provided over and over and over again. And in this time, in this moment of fear, right, young David, young David, a shepherd, a young boy who is too young to even be part of the army, recently anointed to be the the successor of the throne. He comes uh, to the armies of Israel, brings some cheese to his brothers, and and to to see how things are going, to bring a report back to his dad. And he comes out, he's talking to his brothers and some of the other soldiers, and, and Goliath comes out and shouts his defiance against God. And David looks around, he's like, who does this guy think he is? But he's, not, he's defying the, the armies of God. He is defying God. I'll fight that guy. Nobody else is going to do it. Let's bring it on. And Eliab, David's brother, here he is. <laughs> Eliab, uh, it says uh, that he burned with anger. So Eliab was the oldest uh, of David's uh, siblings. And maybe Eliab was still jealous that Samuel had passed him over and passed all his other brothers over to anoint David to be the king of Israel. Anyway, so he comes up and he burns with anger and he says, why have you come here? And and whom did you leave your couple of sheep? You are conceited and wicked and you've just come here to watch the battle. And so here we have the first attack on David's identity that we're going to see here in chapter 17. Right? And so his brother is basically saying, you shouldn't be here. You don't deserve to be here. You're just a poser. You're an imposter. Why don't you go back and take care of your couple little sheep because that's all you're good for. And when I started at seminary a couple years ago, uh, Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, uh, we had an orientation. And in the middle of the day, we had a, a lunch and got to sit down with some of the professors and some of the other students. And I sat down with this table with four or five other students that I uh, didn't really know. I was just, just meeting them. And Dr. Hilbert, who is the professor of Old Testament studies there at, um, at GRTS, and they begin having this conversation, something about, something about Israel. I don't, I don't remember what they were talking about. But what struck me was that not only was Dr. Hilbert brilliant and well-educated and coherent, but so were these other guys. They're having an actual dialogue and conversation about stuff that I had, I had no idea what they were talking about. And, and I'm sitting there listening to this, this, what seemed to be a really brilliant, interesting conversation, and I had nothing to add. I had nothing. I didn't hardly even know what they're talking about. Um, and there's this voice inside my head that starts saying, 
what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You think you, think you, can, uh, think you can hang with these guys? You know what? You don't belong here. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you should just turn around and go home. You're never going to be able to be on this level. You know what? You're better off making pizzas. You're better off carrying siding and windows and shingles around because that's pretty much all you're good at. And that was a tough day for me because I was like, oh, man, did I really hear correctly? Right? Is this really the path that I'm supposed to be on? Is this really what God has called me to? But we see in the story of David that he doesn't even skip a beat. Right? He's not worried about his brother's negativity. We don't know if there's any of these thoughts even on his mind because he is focused and concerned, firstly and foremost, about God's honor. He's going to stand up to somebody who would try to disdain or put down God. So he's like, man, somebody, none of you guys are going to fight him? Well, I'll fight him. And so King Saul hears about this, right? In, in verse 32, he says, David says to the king, he says, don't worry, king. I will take care of this Philistine. I will go and fight him. And Saul looks at him. What are you talking about? You, you can't fight him. You're just a kid. And Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. And again, an attack on David's identity. You're just a kid. You don't have what it takes. He is better than you could ever be. You know what? And this attack may have done me in. You know, oh, you know what? You're right. I don't have what it takes. I'm not fooling myself. I'm no warrior. I'm just a shepherd. Right? Imagine if I'm sitting at that table at orientation and Dr. Hilber and the other students are, are talking and I say something like, I, I agree that uh, Israel is in the Middle East or something. something. That was about my level of understanding in that conversation. And, and imagine I, I sit there and I, I say, oh yeah, the Middle East, uh, Israel. And Dr. Hilber turns to me and he's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You think you can hang with the big boys? You're not a scholar. You're not a seminarian. You should just go home. That would have been crushing. And I may not have been able to recover from that. Right? I may have gone home and never come back. And yet again, we see that David is not swayed even when the king of Israel, the most important person in all of Israel, right, says, you can't do this. This is not what you should be doing. And yet he's unswayed. Because we see that, that, Dave, uh, yeah, that David stands up. He says, I'm not just a shepherd. I have been prepared by God for this. Right? I fought a lion. I fought a bear. And God rescued me from them. And he will rescue me from Goliath. And so David trusts in the covenant promises of God that Israel and Saul had forgotten. This promise that God would fight for Israel and that God would defeat her enemies. He believes that God has prepared him and anointed him through these, these life experiences that he'd had as a shepherd, right? Fighting the lion, fighting the bear, and he chooses to put his trust in God. God who has delivered him multiple times in his life. God who has delivered the Israelites for their entire history. He chooses to put his trust in that. And he knows that God has been preparing him for just this time. And so we ask, what is God preparing us for? What is God preparing me for? 
I feel like I have a destiny and a calling and a purpose, but here I am just shepherding these sheep. This is so unimportant. Like, I'm destined to be the king, David maybe said, right? I'm destined to be the king, and I'm stuck with these sheep, but he doesn't see it that way. He goes, I know that God is with me, and God is for me, and even in my shepherding, he is preparing me for my destiny. And so, when I think about this in my own life, I, I remember this time when I, about 18 years ago, I think, when I started at Narandex. And Narandex was a siding windows roofing uh, retailer. And I was hired on to be the roofing delivery driver. And so I started there, I trained. I got my uh, CDL Class B with air brakes license. Yeah, pretty big deal. That was pretty sweet. And, uh, and so... And so I had my license, I had my super nice polyester blue work pants, I had my, my work boots on, my steel toe work boots, I had uh, my nice uh, Narandex blue shirt, it said Narandex right here, it said Mark over there, I had my blue cap on, I was ready to go. And they said, all right, Mark, this is your day, They're, got the truck loaded for you, just need to take those hundred bundles of shingles out to this job site and uh, get them up to the roof. Great, no problem. Get in the truck. Uh, and I love this truck. It's big, you know, it's a big cab over, and it didn't have air conditioning, but it doesn't, that's all right. And it, and it was, it was awesome. And you were like on top of the world in that truck, driving down the highway, driving down the road. And so it was really fun. And then I pulled up to the job site, and it's just, a, it's kind of, it's just uh, sandy and barren. There, there's this house, the frame of a house out, out in the middle of it. It's about 90 some degrees outside, and I have to back the truck into the driveway up to the house. And at this point in my life, I, uh, I drove a Ford Escort, a very nice car, but smaller, smaller than the 22-foot diesel truck that, that I was driving. And I never even backed up my, uh, my, my Escort, right? Now, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know what's back there. can't see what's going on back there. I don't trust myself. That's a bad deal. And somebody, especially imagine somebody's watching me, and I'm trying to, to back in, and I'm all over trying to get in between the yellow lines. I'm not going to worry about that. I've got to look impressive, and so I'm just pulling straight in. I'll back out later. And so here I am at a job site with this giant truck, and I have to back in in front of these guys that are standing on the rooftop just waiting for me so that they can get their job done so they can get out of there. And, and so I back in. It's awkward. It's, I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh, they probably think I'm an idiot. What is going on? I just, anyway. So I eventually get back there. And then I climb up on the truck. I put the things down, the stabilizers down, and, and I take, and so there's this hydraulic boom, all right? And so you take the boom, and it goes over, and you put it up to the roof. And on this boom, there is a conveyor belt. And so you pick up the bundle of shingles, and you put it on the boom, and the conveyor belt takes it up to the roof. You, you with me? Mm-hmm. And, and so I get that, I get that all set, and uh, so the conveyor belt is about right here. The bundle of shingles is right here. The skid of shingles, 100 shingles. And I pick the first one up, and it's 85 pounds. I knew how heavy it was, but it felt really heavy. And I'm like, oh, and I'm trying to figure out, like, how am I supposed to get it? Like, prior to this, I was taking pizzas out of ovens and cutting them, <laughs> putting them in a bag and handing them to people. That was my previous workout. Now I'm un- in 90-some degree heat in overdressed trying to grab these bundle of shingles, and I don't know, they're kind of awkward. I'm trying to get them up and throw them up on this conveyor belt, and I get one done, and I'm like, oh, man, that's hard. And, and it's like, the bundle gets all broken. It's a mess. It's a mess. They don't like it broken when it gets to the roof. And I do another one. It's like carrying around like an 85-pound dead fish that I'm trying to throw with my puny little muscles up onto the, this boom. And I do it over and over again, and I'm sweating, and I'm dirty, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to do this? And I look by, and I'm like, 
that's only three bundles? I got 97 left. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And, and so, um, because I'm so spiritual, I just pray. And I'm just like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Uh, and I throw over and over again. And I'm getting covered with sweat and getting covered with those shingle granules. And I've got tar on my nice blue shirt. And I am a mess, right? I take my hat off. I throw it somewhere. Unbutton the top button. Oh my goodness, I need to, how am I going to do this? I can't do it. I can't do it. One more. Okay. Uh, uh, over and over again. And then, the story's going somewhere, friends, I promise. And at the end, all of a sudden, I reach down, I throw it up, and it's the last one. I did it. Oh, hooray, huzzah. And I was, I was like, I looked at that empty pallet of shingles, and I was like, I can't believe I just did that. I didn't think I was going to do it. Like I, I, I didn't know. I just felt like I couldn't do it. And there was something that happened to me that day. Something on the inside of me kind of stood up and said, Mark, you can do it. Mark, you can do this. And I gained a confidence that I didn't have before that. Right? And to this day, Cameron has never asked me to carry a bundle nor a hundred bundles of shingles anywhere on the property. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and, and yet, he has asked me to do some things that are outside of my, uh, what I, outside what I feel I can do. Right? He's like, Mark, I want you to lead the children's ministry. Oh, okay, okay. I want you to, to, to lead the youth group. Right, Mark, I want you to, to, to grow the, the small group ministry. Oh, okay, in all these things, I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I don't have training in that. I don't know what I'm doing. But there's something inside of me that I'm like, all right, you want, that's what you want? Let's do it. We'll figure it out. And so what I learned flinging shingles around, I, that confidence helps me in my, what I believe is my purpose, my, my destiny, what I've been called to do. Right? And in the same way, right, you guys might feel like that you are stuck. Like, oh, I'm just a shepherd. I thought I was going to do this. I have this calling. I know that God has something important and significant for me, right? But I'm just stuck in this backwater place, stuck at this job, stuck surrounded by these people that don't even like Jesus, right? But I believe that wherever God has placed you, he has he's given you an opportunity to learn. He's given you an opportunity to prepare for what he has for you in the future. So don't despise where you're at. Don't despise what your role is right now, but trust that you are in God's plan, right? Remember, this story is not about you. This story is about God. This story is about God's redemptive purposes in the world, and you have an important part to play. And wherever you are, you are learning and growing, and you have a role to fulfill God's purposes. All right, moving along. So, David he says, I can do it. I can fight him. I beat the lion. I beat the bear. I can beat, I can beat uh, that guy, Goliath, because God is with me. And so David, or King Saul is like, all right, whatever. We got nobody else. Literally nobody else will do it. Um, and so he, he says, you can go fight him, but you can't fight him like that. And so he gives David his own armor and his own sword. And David puts it on, and he walks around in it a little bit. He says, he says I can't wear this. I'm just, I'm not, this is not how I was prepared. This is not God, how God prepared me for this. And so again, we see an attack on David's identity, right? That Saul tried to tell David, all right, you can fight him, but you certainly aren't good enough the way you are. You know, you need to be more like me. You need to be more like a warrior, right? But David said, I can't do it. And he understood that God had prepared him in a special way, not to be like Saul, 
not to be like his brother, not to be like any of the other soldiers of Israel, but to be who he was, trained with the, with the sling and, and, the, and the spear. That's how he defeated the previous, uh, the lion and the bear. And so what we can learn from, from this, right, is that we don't want to listen to the lies that say that you need to be like somebody else. If you want to fulfill God's purpose of your life, you're not good enough, but man, if you could be like this other person, if you could be like that. You know, for me, I really like Andy Stanley. I love that guy. I think that guy is like the best preacher communicator on the planet. And so sometimes I'll listen to his sermon podcast and I'll just be like, man, if I could be like Andy Stanley, if I could teach like that, then, then I would have this amazing ministry and God would be ultimately glorified, right? But the reality is, Right? That we cannot be somebody else. That God doesn't want us to listen to those lies. He doesn't want us to try to be someone else because he made us on purpose. And he did not make a mistake. Psalm 139 says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And when you came into the family of God, uh, it, he gave you skills and gifts and abilities on purpose. Right? In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about this. He's talking about the, the spiritual gifts. And he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Don't be jealous of somebody else's gifting. Don't be jealous of somebody else's platform. Don't be jealous of, of something that somebody else has, because God did not make a mistake. You are not a mistake, right? You are not less than, or uh, you, yeah, you're not less than anybody else, but you are unique. You are perfect, and you have been placed on purpose right where you are. And you don't need to be like somebody else to fulfill God's plan. You know, and I really think, and what I am learning to, to walk into is that in order to truly find fulfillment, right? In order to truly and effectively fulfill the purposes of God in your life, to truly understand your place in this, in this God-centered life, you have to be yourself. You have to be who God has created you to be. Just like David, if he would have gone and tried to fight Goliath as Saul, man, maybe he would have got trounced. But he knew who he was. And he knew that, well, you know, slings aren't nearly as impressive as swords, but this is what God has given me, so I'm going to do all that I can with this sling. You've been made perfect. He knit you together perfectly. You're not less than anybody else. And so David turns down the armor, turns down the sword, picks up his staff, picks up his, his sling, picks up a few smooth stones out of the, the riverbed and marches off to face Goliath. And Goliath looks down in verse 43 and says, am I a dog? Imagine this. Goliath is probably twice as tall as David. He's standing there in full armor with his sword and his shield. He's even got an armor bearer, two against one. Doesn't seem fair. And he looks down. Oh, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David. Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And again, the fourth time we see an attack on David's identity. This giant of a man, this man who's been a warrior from his youth, he says, you little punk. You little punk, what are you, you going to poke me with your stick? <laughs> yeah, you're real scary. No, you're not prepared to face me. You are a dead man. But David, again, not swayed. 
He doesn't run away. And you see, this is not just a story about a positive self-image, right? David's not walking up there with his staff and his sling going, you got this, David. You can do it. David, you are great. You are awesome. People like you. You're handsome, and you have ruddy complexion. This is going to be great, right? <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that made me laugh. I like that one. Good one, Mark. Whew. Um, so we see this is not just a story of this little guy that's overcoming a, a, a giant, right? But this is, and though David is confident in himself, he is confident in who God has made him. He is confident in who God has called him to be and where God has positioned him to be. But ultimately, David is confident in God. You see, this is a story of faith, of David's faith in the strong, supernatural power of God. And so, we're going to wrap this up in moments. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear or sling or stick that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. God has anointed and prepared David. He ultimately knows that this is God's fight, that God is the one who is going to win it, and that David is merely a tool in God's hands. And David's purpose through this whole encounter, right, has never once been to bring himself glory, to, to reach out and say, I'm the king, I'm important, I'm significant, look at me, look at me. But his whole purpose, his whole plan is to bring God glory. And he stands up to defend God's honor as he trusts in the covenant promises of God. And we all know how the story ends. He whips his sling around and shoots the, the stone. It sinks into uh, Goliath's head. He dies. David runs up, grabs his sword, cuts his head off, and the Israelites chase off the Philistines. It's amazing. I encourage you. We had to rush through that story, so I encourage you. Go ahead and read chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's real good. So, what we see in this story, in conclusion, there we go, in conclusion, that David understands three things really clearly. I missed most of my slides. There are some great slides in there. Sorry. Pictures. David understands three things very clearly. He understands his identity. Right? He understands his identity. He's not the hero of his own story. He's not the center of the world. Right? But he is the son of God. That he is in right relationship with God. And he knows that God is with him and that God is for him. His, 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 uh, his God-focusedness in his not self-focusedness, helps him to step into this trust, to know that, yeah, God is with me, God is for me, I am the Son of God. I know who I am. David knew his identity, and he also knew his purpose, right? His purpose was not to fulfill his desires, to, to reach out and strive for this throne, but he was part of God's plan. He was part of God's redemptive purposes on the earth. David knew God's covenant promises. He knew that this land is where the Israelites were supposed to be. He knew that it was from this place that God was going to bless all of the world. And he knew that he had a part to play in that. And ultimately, we see that his faith, 
that he was a man of faith, that it was, wasn't faith in himself, but it was in faith in the, the promises and the trustworthiness of God. He trusted that God had prepared him for just this moment. And so, when we look at the story, right, we are not David. We're not, you know, the, the soon-to-be-anointed king of Israel. We're not the king of anything, probably. Maybe we're a CEO. That might be impressive. Anyway, forget that. Strike that. Uh, so, you know, so there's a difference. We are different from David. You know, we're not leading an army. But what can we learn about our, in our own lives? How can we apply this story that happened thousands of years ago into our life? But we can understand and we can know that we, each one of us, is also part of God's story. We all have an identity as, as Christ followers, as sons and daughters of God. And we have a part to play in his redemptive purposes on the earth. Right? And we can know and we can rest securely that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We can rest assured that he rose again to bring us into resurrection life. And that he ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live for him and connects us with God the Father, connects us with Jesus. And so we have been prepared and positioned on purpose. You see, each one of us has been bought with a price. And now we can fulfill God's purposes for our lives, which is to bring him glory. Whether we're shepherds or kings, we glorify God as we worship him, as we serve him, as we live our lives for him. And so what I want to do this morning is just invite you to close your eyes and just ask this question. You know, what is the Goliath in your life right now? And what is causing you to question your identity causing you to question your purpose, causing you to question your faith? What is bringing anxiety, fear, worry, or doubt? Lord, would you just reveal that thing right now? Would you reveal the Goliath that is in front of me right now? And Lord God, we choose to trust you in the face of this Goliath. And I confess that I've doubted you. I've doubted your gifts and your abilities given to me. Doubted your faithfulness. Doubted that you have a plan and a purpose for me. And I repent for believing those lies. And I ask you to reveal your truth. And Lord, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you that you didn't make a mistake when you put each one of us together, when you put each one of us in the place, in the position where we're at. Thank you that you have prepared us for this Goliath in front of us and that we are going to be victorious in you and help us to remember that we are players in your story and to live in subordination and submission to you, Lord Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. In your name we pray. Amen.